And welcome to episode 377 of the Sand Studs Podcast. I'm Kurt, joined once again this week by my atomic co-host, Peter Andrick. That's right, Kurt. This week, uh, it's the Guy Said Aliens edition. That that was the big news this week. The guy, he said a new word. The word was aliens. World will Actually, I believe be it was non-human biologics. Yes. Not, uh, yes. Keyword, non-human uh, could be anything. Could be a dog. Could be uh, um, a dolphin. You know. We could have... be a mushroom. Yeah. Could be a piece of moss they strapped to a rocket. <laughs> yeah. Gotta love the um, the the vagueness of a lot of the. And then and then they were like, you know what? If you if you say like skiff, people are gonna lose their minds. It was like, oh, I have to talk to you about that in a skiff. And they were like, oh my god, what is that? That's gotta be. Where they talk about the aliens, right? Yeah, it's where they talk about the aliens. It's the Faraday cages at NSA. And people are saying that, like, because, um, like, military hierarchy is, like, trying to prevent that meeting, that there's something there. But it could just be a waste of departmental resources. You you know what? It could be, like, what if it's, what if it's ours? What if it's, like, a DARPA project? And it's just like, (laughs) no, guys, stop. (laughs) <laughs> just don't worry about it like so at some point somebody's gonna be like guys we have to bring him in on this so he shuts the fuck up he's gonna give it away <laughs> yeah like the tom holland of, of darpa if, if if there were aliens in the classical sense that had come to earth it would have come out by now like think of all the idiot blabbermouths that have served in this country's government over the past just 20 years you think None of them would have gone running. <laughs> so yeah. tell the world. I need. And I need not even speaking for the entire rest of the world. Yeah. I need. Yeah. I need like. I need to have one report come out to like validate a lot of these things, and I want to see the, where they live and where they work. I want to see like carbon monoxide level and lead levels <laughs> of their place, because like this could just be a hallucination, and nobody knows. Oh, I thought you were talking about the aliens. I'm like, that's, no. that's so helpfully. Well, that's that's like... Um, I want to like, know where they live, and I want to know if their houses are up to code. <laughs> if there are aliens here, they need to be living in safety. They're a well, danger to their neighborhoods. Well, that's kind of what the, um, uh, what you call it, like with uh, historically haunted buildings, they've all found them to be uh, at elevated levels of carbon monoxide, which yeah. can cause hallucinations. Mm-hmm. What if that was the ending to Haunted Mansion? Like <laughs> it's just the car- they find the carbon monoxide detector in the basement, and, and then it ends going. with like uh, fucking um, uh, oh fuck, I blew it. Uh, Danny DeVito, he just turns to the camera, he's like, "Remember, check your carbon monoxide levels, kids." Well, the entire the entirety of the movie, you just hear random beeps and beep. <laughs> it's the fire alarm saying your battery's dead. <laughs> It ends. It ends with everybody waking up and a big knock on the door, and some Jersey outlaw guy, home inspector, banging on the door. Hey, open up in there! Whoa, you guys are living here. I haven't finished my home inspection. 
we detected a lot of lead and carbon monoxide in here. Have you guys been licking the wallpaper or what? Oh, we gotta get you out of here. Ghost? But, no! But they're all tripping, so they, like, attack him. Yeah, yeah. Fire. They think he's, oh, it's a, a weird skeleton ghost. And that concludes our pitch for the third act of Disney's The Haunted Mansion. Please write um, on it. We will await uh, contact from your representative. Yeah, featuring Joe Pesci and Johnny <laughs> Joe. Bananas, the, the New Joe Jersey Pesci. home inspector. I was done with acting until uh, Scorsese said, I need you for the Irishman. <laughs> and then I was done with acting again, but then... These free mooks come along, <laughs> and they say, we you got to be in the Haunted Mansion. Got, and I only said, yes, carbon monoxide is a very important issue to me. My my, my cousin died from carbon monoxide poisoning, so this Vinny. was very... <laughs> they said carbon monoxide. I said, carbonara, I love it. Oh, different <laughs> one. My bad. I'm Italian. I only know pasta. <laughs> And building code. <laughs> you think Italian cigarettes are just like 10 or 20 Brillo noodles wrapped in a... That's the secret. I know for a fact that's what they are. That's why, no, that's why nobody in Italy gets lung cancer. <laughs> yeah. Is that they're just... Just, it's just angel hair. They just found a new way to eat their pasta. Through smoking it. <laughs> See, that was a better version than when they just stuffed the tobacco in a tortellini. <laughs> I always picture it as more of like a ravioli. <laughs> That's edibles. That's and then it. my my nona would would stuff a ravioli with just pure tobacco, <laughs> and then we'd eat it raw. She'd say, "Lick your fingers, you'll get a buzz." <laughs> I think that was just the plot of the Homer's the the Simpsons tobacco episode. Yeah, the tobacco, <laughs> which secretly. They learned is is possible because they're both members of the nightshade family. You can, in fact, breed tobacco. <laughs> I don't think it would be quite like as pictured in the show. No, not at all. Um, or even edible, possible. but <laughs> anything, go for it. <laughs> aliens are here. Anything's possible. Yes. So um, we are coming at you live, as always, from our uh, uh, dojo, Mojo Dojo Casa House, Casa House, brought to you by Mattel. Um, it is uh, right off the production line. We're going to test it out. You can hear the um, the horses in the background, and we if you if you hear some We've Italian got the horses people, in the back. it's just the it's just the Godfather playing in the background. That comes standard with the set. Um, yep. And and we've replaced all the doors in our houses with um, saloon doors. So the the clanking or the the you know that's. If you hear that, it's just somebody walking through the saloon doors. I genuinely have a desire to put saloon doors between my kitchen and the the dining room. What would have been the dining room? Then you are a hundred and ten percent the target audience for the Barbie movie. Yeah, because it is a. What we just said is actually what happens in the Barbie movie. Yeah. Spoilers. And uh, I, well, I, have... I just had to step in because y'all acting like it's crazy. To put saloon doors in your house, but I'm telling y'all, it's not. I actually don't think so. I don't think it's crazy at all. I, I think it's um, it's definitely. I, I mean, people there used are, to have that. 
there are rooms. Yes, they did. And there are rooms where it makes sense to have saloon doors so you can see what's going. You don't need the privacy, but you would like to have a little barricade to, to separate the rooms. It makes sense. I I come from uh, definitely we're, we're the most pot smokingest town in New York State, Ithaca, New York. So I'm a bead curtain man myself. And or possibly one of those split level doors where you can open up the bottom or the top. Oh, I just keep the top closed at all times, so I'll inadvertently close on myself anytime I walk into. You know, room. I've I've always I've lived my twenty nine years of life um, by these simple rules, and I think it, I think it works in this situation too. If it's good enough for Applebee's, it's good enough for me. My problem with the bead curtain is that. You can't hold it open, really, for someone behind you. Like, in a part of our manufacturing plant, we have what is essentially a bead curtain made of plastic strips. The, and big, the big flipper curtains. When you, when you try to hold it open for someone walking behind you, which happens a lot, it's very awkward. You really don't know what you're doing. You're just like, I hope this works. <laughs> Can you hold that? I I know I can't. <laughs> oh, okay. Buh, 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 buh. And they just get Maybe let me face. try. <laughs> Which makes me wonder why, like, it's a very simple addition to your bead curtain to put a nail on one side of the door and a string on the other side, and you just wrap it around like, like you do normal curtains. That's why that's a bead yeah. curtain. But no one I've ever seen does that. <laughs> that makes too much sense for the kind of person who puts a uh, bead curtain in their abode. You know, we're not, there's not a whole, the Venn diagram of people with high critical thinking skills and people who put bead curtains in their homes, not a ton of overlap, very skinny middle section. It's either that or a tapestry of Martin the Warrior with a secret uh, hole in it that you can go through. A Murphy door. (laughs) That's one for all my Redwall fans, Magic the Gathering, please put out a Redwall Universes Beyond set. I'm making the call out right now. You can do it for Magic. You're doing it for Doctor Who. Do it for my favorite young fantasy uh, book series. I'm really still waiting. Slap. Still waiting on the Power Rangers universes beyond. feel like that's a slam dunk. They're both owned by Hasbro. <laughs> yep. Easy. The, the, you could, the colors are the colors. They became popular. robots. They became popular the same year, 1993. Like we we literally have Dinobots in Magic, uh, came out during uh, uh, March of Machines. Uh, let me find that card. <clears throat> yes, there it is. Here we go, Gold Forged Thopterix. Boom. Um, so you might, in all this talk, you might have not realized uh, that we are in fact reviewing Oppenheimer with a side of Barbie. Yeah today we're here and uh we do other things on this show <laughs> yes like watch trailers <laughs> watch trailers in our segment trailer I, I was debating internally like how do i do i do it again <laughs> do i over explain the premise of the show again in greater detail <laughs> no i'll just talk about how i'm not doing it that'll this... save us time in the long run <laughs> Sad part is you're probably not wrong. Um, weird week for trailers. Uh, not a lot of movies. Basically just the new trailer is Exorcist Believer, which we had a teaser for. Mm-hmm. Um, funny story about this. This played in front of my uh, 
showing of Oppenheim. Same. Or, and um, the reaction it drew from the uh, the packed house was rory- uproarious laughter. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, no. I was like, I watched it. It wasn't huge laughter. But we were like, oh, no. Another exorcist? Now? Which, you know, I, if you had told someone in, like, the 70s after The Exorcist came out that um, in the future it will get a sequel and people will laugh at it, I don't know how they would have reacted to it because that was for many, many years considered the scariest movie ever made. Well, and didn't it, right. have, didn't it have a sequel? Um... Oh, it had, like, Three or three, four sequels, yeah. <laughs> but none of them were like all that Any great good, or, no. or yeah. uh, sanctioned by like, the original director. Um, yeah, it was just they people had like IP. the third one. You know, this one is uh, maybe like a I don't know I don't know if return to form or an attempt to return to form for The Exorcist. Um, oh, that's yeah. They just did the soft reboot. They they did like a soft reboot. But now there's two kids this time. Well, yeah. it's a sequel because I, I think the implication is Linda Blair is one of the people yes. coming to the town. So right. it's... she's she she's playing the same role that um, uh, J- 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 Jamie Activia, Jamie Lee Activia Curtis plays. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis played in in the Halloween reboots where she's she's coming back to fight it again. Yeah. Which is let's, an interesting let's trend. see if that goes good. Yeah, yeah, but like after, she was just the one after Scream does the joke about the trope. You're you're late to the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums up this movie. It's uh, a little late to the party. Yeah, we've had a lot of I, exorcism I wonder... movies. Um, it's a pretty well played out genre at this point, and I think. Linda Blair is the only returning character in this, and I don't know. I think she was in some of the other sequels and wasn't exactly a draw. Back. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, th- I wonder how much of this, at least this week, is now starting. We're starting to feel the writer strike <laughs> coming through. Because again, yeah, no movies coming out, and this this seems like a movie that they would pull out of the. <laughs> out of storage um like a script that's mostly done but really wouldn't make sense to release until you you know you need a very specific market to release it into to make money and this might be it um i'm sure it'll make money like a drop of water in a parched desert that they're predicting around i I guess halloween right this is going to come out as the halloween thing yeah i don't i don't think we're going to see like feel the 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 shock waves of the writer strike or actor strike until probably a few more months when streaming services start to to dry up the well of like what they have on the docket of releases um and i think we're gonna see it first with netflix when they announce more reality tv shows which they probably already have in the works like more love is blind seasons more Love Island and other bullshit that they have going on, because that was how yeah. it was with um with, with cable. They just yeah, I mean it's to- funny. It's funny that like the the last high profile writer strike, um, inadvertently, 
created this rise of reality television and led to less work for writers. Yeah. Um. So the other trailer that we got going on, which is, uh, I don't know if I, I mentioned this, uh, the Marvels uh, we got. Yes. Recently, like an actual trailer. Yeah, time. we got an actual yes. trailer for the Marvels. Um, I'm sure everyone's the, excited for that. Yeah, it, man, I don't know. It, they're bringing up like quantum entanglement. They're so they're bringing back Carol Danvers, <laughs> obviously, and then they're introducing first time for movies. Um, uh, Photon. I don't even remember her name. Is that her? Yeah. But she was in. Um, she was in Wandavision. Uh, oh, I guess her the actress's name is uh, Aman Vellani, or is that no Tiana Paris? Mm-hmm. Monica uh, Rambo right is her. That's Monica Rambo. Yeah. And then you have um, uh, Kamala Khan, who was uh, in the Miss Marvel show, the least watched Disney Plus streaming show. <laughs> and I watched that. I've I've watched every show on on. Disney plus the Marvel one. So you're part of the problem. <laughs> I, I'll make a ranking of, of them, and, and please one day I'll make a That's, ranking. I just we'll finished make Se- some use out of this. I'll just I just finished Secret Invasion. Um, okay, did I've heard a lot of bad things about the climax. I couldn't make it past the fourth episode because nothing was happening. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like they should have condensed it a lot more because a lot of cool. There was a lot of cool ideas. They built up a lot of cool ideas. But nothing happened until the fifth and sixth episode when, like, the shit that they were setting up actually paid off. They should have condensed a lot of that and fit it into, like, the one, two, and three episodes. And then maybe done, like, a, the aftermath, the after effects of, like, the Secret Invasion. And a lot of people are saying Secret Invasion probably should have been a whole phase of Marvel. Um, yeah. That led up to the Super Scroll, which is overpowered as fuck and maybe we could have gotten fantastic four in there somewhere <laughs> yeah you could yeah you could have easily developed that into that um because a lot of people don't know the super scroll like copied all the superpowers of the fantastic four um and that's how they kind of introduced um i don't know if they introduced the fantastic four or if they introduced super scroll first but um you could have easily uh, they introduced the fantastic four first. oh you mean in the cinematic universe um, no, in, in like the comics. In the comics? Oh, in, in the, the comics, yeah. The Fantastic Four are one of the original Marvel comic runs. Yeah. Like, I think they're like the first. I don't maybe maybe it was like a retcon. I don't know what it was. Um, but which, I know I know Super just makes Scroll. It even more ironic. Yeah, Super Scroll and Fantastic Four has like a lot of overlap where they. I'd it, say the Scrolls are are most notably uh, antagonists for the Fantastic yeah. Four. Yeah, and um. Uh, and as I'm letting my YouTube like auto play, I'm bringing up the Secret Invasion episode two breakdown, which I don't know why it's episode two, but whatever. Um, mm-hmm. It was a good story. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson does a good job at playing his role, um, and uh, it's just the execution was bad and it was cheap. And the final fight was literally. Doesn't help that the one of the last shows they came out with, She Hulk, made fun of the type of finale that they did for the Secret Invasion. Like, She Hulk like made fun of the fact that oh, what I'm gonna have a, a a copycat fight against like the Red Hulk and like this is so like obvious and cliche. Like, and then they break the fourth wall Go and she does something else. Yeah. 
And then Secret Invasion does exactly that. It has a super cliche ending, whereas people with the same superpower fighting each other, and it's like, it's over within, I think, 10 minutes or something like that of the show. That's about how much they could afford. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, condense a lot of it. Don't worry about having these mini fights all the time and maybe have a better climactic showdown. I don't know. They, yeah, it, some people are really liking it and they just hate the finale of it. And some people just think the entire show was garbage. Like the Marvel memes is a subreddit I don't subscribe to, but I've seen a lot of posts there because they've made it to like the front page and it's just people memeing on how dumb the ending of Secret Invasion was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was not great. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, we're going to see what's happening in... I guess it's going to lead into uh, the new Captain America movie. Um, new yes. World Order. My, well, it's my now it's called... Isn't it? Now it's called something else. A Brave New World. Now, Brave New yeah. World, yeah. It was called New World Order... Which kind of set up like an idea of what that's going to be about, because the ending of this kind of uh, breaks and breaks like the whole entire like all the countries into like chaos of like everybody's freaking out about scrolls being in power and leadership. So um, maybe that they're going to have to deal with the aftermath of that because there are people literally just offing people thinking they're scrolls and they're not. The perfect sometimes. murder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, but, we'll see what happens with that shit. Secret Invasion yep. kind of sucked. I, I do want to mention my favorite part of this trailer. Um, besides the, yeah, like you said, the generic uh, villain, like, oh, you took everything from me, so I'm going to take everything from you. Um, they describe, they're describing the Marvel's powers, and they're like, Carol Danvers, she can, can, she can uh, absorb light. Kamala Khan can generate physical constructs out of light. Um, and then Monica Rambeau, can see it <laughs> yeah they did her they did her dirty because her power her power is a little bit better than that um i think she can turn her body right. into light yeah we i mean we saw it in one vision yeah so yeah. i don't know why they described <laughs> they just, it as that in the trailer because <laughs> it can do more than that she can she I should can be like it. wow I, can become I didn't light. know i had superpowers <laughs> it's just it's just kind of dumb um but that's the entirety of this uh, trailer. Is it's just kind of dumb. It's them swapping places, and it's a gag that they're gonna do over and over and over again. And it's gonna get old after like the second time they do it until they learn how to probably control that and combine it into their power somehow. And they're gonna have a fight scene where they do that. And yeah. wow, I don't. Maybe it'll be cool. Here's a bold prediction. I don't think this movie is gonna do very well. I don't think it is either. You have two characters coming out of the blue, and if you haven't seen the show, you don't know anything about their backstory. So the movie's going to expect us to care about them more, and I think the majority of people are not. And Miss Marvel already wasn't, um, or not Miss Marvel, um, Captain Marvel wasn't received very well originally, just because Brie Larson was written very poorly. It was a mediocre yeah, um, movie. I mean, it made a shit ton of money, but yeah, there were a it lot did. of people that I, I mean, made a billion dollars that movie. Holy did. shit, did it really? Yeah. Man, different times. Um, yeah. yeah. I'd yeah, be shocked we'll if this made half that. I'm, I'm going to predict 
480 million total worldwide yeah. box. I can see that. Um, okay. Yep. Um, and then uh, we have a lot of uh, animated trailers. Um, yes. So we got an Invincible Season 2 teaser. And one thing mm-hmm. to note is that they are releasing the first four episodes. Um, and then they're going to drop the next four episodes in early 2024. Um, the first four episodes, oh, I think, a- come out in like September or something like that. Uh, November. November. Fuck. Okay. So what they're doing before that is uh, the Adam like Eve a uh, appetizer for the first episode drops um, is they're releasing the Happy Birthday Adam Eve, which is the Adam Eve origin story episode. I think they already did. Season two. Well, there's oh, no, yes, Adam sorry, yeah. Adam Eve has her own like little uh, side series, I think. Is it a side series run? or is it a movie or a special? I think it's a special episode. It might be longer. Let me look it up. Yeah. Um. Um. I like the first season. They they're definitely kind of leaning into the gimmick of we we paid for the top voice talent because they went over everyone who's already been in it, and then at the end they they throw threw up all the newcomers, and there are a yes. lot. Uh, Chloe Bennett, Rob Delaney, Luke McFarlane, Jay Farrow, Rhea Seahorn, Kara Walcreen. A lot Tim of people. Robinson. I, yeah, I'll just read the the ones I can oh, recognize yeah. here: Calista Flockhart, Leah Thompson, uh, Tim Robinson, Sterling K. Brown, David Diggs, Phil Lamar, Paul F. Tompkins, Ben Schwartz, <laughs> who's just in everything these days. Good for him. Yeah, so um, they they got some good good talent um, for the for the next season. Um, Adam Eve is a hour long special episode, by the way. Oh, um, okay. So that's uh, that's already out. You can watch it on Amazon Prime, um, and then the new next four episodes will be out in November, um, and the next four episodes will be out early twenty twenty four. Um, good things come when we wait so hopefully yeah i mean i'm okay waiting uh one critique i had of the first season of invincible is they definitely uh cut some corners with the animation in certain scenes um and if waiting means that they have more opportunity to animate a little more stuff then uh, i'm okay waiting the one thing that i noted from the trailer that seemed kind of interesting was it seems like they're moving pretty fast with um, the story of Invincible. Um, I don't know the exact comic numbers when this happens, but um, eventually we'll get we'll introduce other Viltrumites, which they do show, I think, in this in the trailer. Um, and they say a line which implies that one of the Viltrumites is already killed by uh, somebody. I don't know. I don't know who it is. It might might be Invincible. Might be. Um, the dad might be... Well, Invincible is a pretty comic. short comic run. It's only 144 issues. Okay. Um, and they already covered quite a bit of ground in the first season. Like, yeah. the, the fight with Omni-Man doesn't happen until a lot later in the comics. Yeah, then, then maybe then maybe they just do jump right into it, where the other Viltrumites are like, hey, we gotta go take care of this shit. And Omni-Man, or uh, yeah. Invincible, somehow gets a power... He's- 
power jump. Right, he's doesn't he have to deal with like Doctor Angstrom and the there's the Invincible War. Yeah, it, it looks spoilers. It but. looks like um, he's it's going this season's going to be more about um, Invincible growing as a hero. Yeah. Um, I think the Viltrumite stuff's going to be kind of in the background and uh, coming to a head more in. Uh, the latter portion of the season yeah sounds like it and as we've seen with its peer uh the boys they may just be willing to take it in a new direction and not well they'll hit some of the high notes you know of of the comic run but yeah. they may just decide to go a different way with yeah the boys right now is completely different like almost unrecognizable from that source material inspired by the boys <laughs> um yeah uh, so that's another thing that we got. We got the um, the spinoff series trailer for Gen V, um, which seems like it's a uh, it's, high school it's euphoria, but with superpowers. It's a yeah. it's like a, a mutant academy. An R rated, uh, yeah, like an R rated. Yeah, what if? Yeah, what if uh, Professor X's Charles Xavier's School for the Gifted was also like the CW's uh, Riverdale? I like yeah. that concept. <laughs> or done well. Or like, what yeah. if, uh, what if Disney's Sky High was like X-rated? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm not super excited for this. It looks like it's gonna be a lot of the, the parts of the boys I enjoy the least. Uh, where it's just like, look at this debauchery going on, isn't it? weird that there's superpowers involved i'm like well maybe the first time you showed it to me but <laughs> at this point i'm kind of used to it <laughs> look yeah. how weird it is Ooh, look oh, how I'm... weird it is to do powerful you know illegal shit yeah you get to play that card once um the, the only thing i'm looking for the only the thing i'm looking forward to this series i will watch clips of it is when the girl with the blood powers like explodes people yeah. Like scanner style. That's about that's about where I'm going to be on this. Yeah. Um. That's that's Gen V. Yeah. High school high school drama with super powers. Yeah. Not uh, sure who the target audience for that is, but the research indicates there is one. So. Yes. Um. And then speaking of of blood and drama, and animation, um. Castlevania Nocturne. Yeah, it's... Um, They're Rick, rolling with it. Richter Belmont in the French Revolution featuring vampires, and they're, they're kind of... They're leading into dangerous uh, territory with this becoming like an alternate history Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter type <laughs> story. Yeah. Um... I don't know. My, my problem with Castlevania came down to the writing being pretty poor um, as the series wore on, um, and they deviated heavily from Castlevania 3's plotline, uh, which, fine, but I would have liked to see them like have a little bit more of interactions with Dracula and fighting Dracula. Yeah, right. Um, that's another thing that a lot of premium TV does is they'll, you know, one thing they'll, they'll move away from their premise to talk about the drama and 
they'll also take the most engaging character from the first season that dies at the climax and they'll choose to just have them be dead uh, for the climax and never like bring them back and they'll be like show up flashbacks here and there as like like a little bait yeah to bait the audience back into watching yeah um so i think this could potentially benefit from not being uh the established premise not being like following the events of a particular game um but it's going to come down to the execution is the script going to be any good is the animation going to be any good is the story going to be any good like i i can't really tell that from the trailer um it it's set in the french revolution there are vampires around the magic uh looks like it's kind of gotten a little bit more grandiose <laughs> since castlevania three days um i don't yeah. recognize who a lot of some of these other characters are supposed to be although i think the the blonde girl was in symphony symphony of the night i just forget her name um and uh yeah we'll see if this leads if this does well and it leads to that you know what actually never mind i was gonna say if it leads to an adaptation of rondo of blood and symphony of the night i'll be happy but then i remembered how the other <laughs> castlevania seasons went and i'm not sure that this is the right team to do that they're not in the best hands <laughs> <laughs> yeah um if we get um symphony of blood symphony of the night and have uh what's his name shooting vampires with with his handgun <laughs> alucard popping caps and dracula's ass <laughs> alucard just becomes dante from devil may cry <laughs> i would you know what fuck it i would just give me the don give me the devil may cry anime you, you know what i'm surprised they've never tried that before right if the like what a flex that would be to animate any of those boss battles <laughs> Like that it would be it fits so many anime talking about that for half a decade at least. Yeah, it, it fits so many anime tropes like it. Unless the only explanation I can think of is that Devil May Cry as a series isn't popular enough, but I don't think that's true. Yeah, they've they've made less popular shit in the like shows. One of Capcom's flagship properties. Yeah, and the last game did really well, I think, too. So it's, like, fresh in people's minds. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it for, like, TV. Oh, we should mention, we didn't mention it last week. One Piece. Oh, yeah. Live action. <laughs> yeah. Throw it out there. Yeah, One Piece live action. Um, I don't watch a One Piece. It is a long, it's a thousand, over a thousand episodes with... 60% filler so like it's a watchable show but still that's like three four hundred episodes you got to run through um, I couldn't make it I watched it a little bit in the beginning uh, I couldn't make it past yeah. the crocodile arc it's a lot so I'm I think I'd rather watch a, a recap or like a like a summary um, or maybe I'll watch the live action who knows um, um, but they came out with uh, the, the first trailer for it um it looks pretty good, apparently, to fans. Uh, people are genuinely excited about it. Um, we'll see what the actual show looks like. It's the only Baron, because a lot of trailers look good. Um, <laughs> and then they get into it, and they're like, well, this character's acting a different way than they would in the show. Um, I'm hoping they're just going to pull direct 
lines from the show and direct ambitions from the show. Um, the worst criticism I've seen so far is the fact that Luffy is not wearing sandals and he's wearing shoes. So, it's a pretty big one. We'll see, see the, that that's changes. the. I guess that leads into we were talking about this before uh, the episode here. Um, I'm glad the fans are liking it so far, um, but the common criticism with bringing anime to live action is is the adaptation and bringing the visual style to live action, um, which is the most exacerbated with something like this, where half of the enjoyment of One Piece, I have to imagine, is like the character design and the art style of the actual panels. And it's about looking at the cool characters and the way everything's drawn as much as the story. Yeah. Um, because One Piece, it is, is not trying to do realism at all. Not even close. No. Um, it... So trying to adapt that, in it's like it's like trying to adapt Dragon Ball to live action, where you're like, I'm going to take Toriyama's style and put that in wardrobe and put that on people. And it just it didn't didn't work well, which is why I I wonder the I question the wisdom in trying to do these live action adaptations mm-hmm. of anime, um, just as a concept. Also, like. My knowledge of One Piece is certainly out of date, but um, the crew that they've got going on here um, has been assembled like pretty late into the run. I think like this isn't the the crew oh, at the it's outset. Like a, it's a well, deep, like certain uh, characters. Yeah, like certain characters, like the the blonde guy. Like he doesn't come until quite a bit later. I think the original crew was just uh, Luffy. Uh, Zoro and uh, Naomi. Oh, are you talking about Sanji? Sanji, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Luffy. I hate Zoro. that I know these characters' names, and I've never watched one episode of One Piece or have read one issue of the manga. I think Usopp I comes along a little later. Usopp, Sanji, Zoro. Yeah. Nami, Robin. Uh, episode Luffy thirty. Comes. Sanji joined the crew. So they, they could just be... I mean, I don't know when he is in the... Um, I don't know how fast this season of the show is going to, gonna gonna you know, go over. But um, I know they definitely show the famous, like, scene where he gives the hat to, to Nami. So I, I hate how I know that, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know too much about this show that I have the fan base no is, interest in watching. It's it is very prolific. We could be like it, it is legitimately one of those shows where it's like I could know entirely about what happens in it and not ever have to watch it. Okay, so they showed they showed a scene from episode thirty seven. So it's entirely possible that this is like the first like fifty episodes. Well, they're missing of. Like they they've shown some of the villains that are going to be in this, and I think like one of the first major villains, Captain Koro, I want to say, isn't one of them. Mm. So I 
maybe he's not consequential. Like, I don't know enough about what's considered important in One Piece canon now versus when I lost interest in it. Right. So maybe that's not... There's been so much. Maybe that's just kind of a footnote in history and not worth adapting, but, like, that's a third of the One Piece I know. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? We'll see. Who really? Who knows? Um, Just like we'll see... Who won the shootout between Oppenheimer and Barbie uh, at the box office here in the follow-up, following up domestic weekend 2023, weekend 29, July 21st through the 23rd. Um, In first is Barbie with $162 million, and Oppenheimer's running up the rear at $82.4 million. Now, this might seem surprising or like a bigger disparity than you might think, um, but there are some logistic factors here that play heavily into Barbie's favor. First off, Barbie is in 600 more theaters than Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Yep. That right away gives it a huge advantage. Second off, Oppenheimer's rated R, Barbie's rated PG-13. Um, so Barbie was accessible to a much wider audience. And reason the third... Uh, Barbie's about half as long as Oppenheimer, yeah. which means and it can be shown like forty percent more times. Yeah. Yep. If you if you look at the show, if you ever try to look at the showings for Barbie compared to Oppenheimer, even on um, release weekend, it was maybe four showings a day in, I guess, in IMAX. Um, yep. yeah. Maybe twelve total across a multiplex theater, whereas Barbie would have that many on one screen in a. You know, in one uh, format in a day. Yep. Yeah. And both basically sold out. Yeah. yeah. They, oh, yeah. They were both all sold movies out. are doing incredibly well. They're I don't want people. I don't want people to think that Oppenheimer is like disappointing because it's not. <laughs> I will say, I went to go see Barbie on a Wednesday evening. I looked at the times, I looked at the seats available, and it was sold out six five six seven p.m showings all like one or two seats left yeah so i'm like holy shit this movie is going to do gangbusters i i did not i do not exaggerate when i say that uh the the barbie movie was a summer event (laughs) well the barbenheimer marketing gimmick worked like yeah the box office is up Almost double. Yeah, it's it's up one hundred twenty nine point four percent from the previous week. Yeah, largely on the back of these two movies. Yeah, if it didn't work, like you would definitely see the fact that, um, you know, people were gonna would would wait to go see Oppenheimer. They'll wait a week, um, or they they'll go see it a different day. But a lot of people just went out, saw it in that one weekend, saw them back to back. You know, had made a day of it. You wake up. Have your two cigarettes and coffee, and go see Oppenheimer. I mean, and that's then something start your, to consider. Your Mars, right? That how many people think about how many movies the average person, even we, see in a week, which is like one. We'll and one in theaters, theater yeah. Week. And we were pretty avid theater goers. We had there was a large section of America that went to see two movies in the same week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you also you also have Barbie that is just. Um, a lot of people are going to see it with multiple people or a family, like it is a more family movie. 
um, or you're going to see it with your kid. So that's more tickets being sold, there's more seats being sold out. Yeah, like there's um, logistic reasons why it's the number yeah. one movie in America, like like we talked about. Um, it's not necessarily indicative of the quality or hype between the two movies. It's Oppenheimer yeah. is making about as much money as it could hope to make, given the you know restrictions that it has. Well, Oppenheimer, I think, beat its expectations. They were oh, yeah. they were expecting a little bit less, a little bit less. Um, but but Oppenheimer, I think, if you start counting in more numbers and current numbers, I think they are well over the mark that they wanted to hit. Um, yeah. Especially for a three-hour movie, that's fucking crazy. That which is essentially just all like guys in a room talking. Well, so like is Twelve not... Angry Men, and that's one of the best movies ever made. Well, that was when no movies existed, so <laughs> miss me with that. Shit. Kurt, I don't know if you saw. Um, you see Red Letter Media's review of Oppenheimer. I have not yet. No. Okay. Well, they make a joke like that. They talk about that, and they do. Uh, they put it on their channel. The parody, like. Um, Christopher Nolan's 12 Angry Men <laughs> where they put the Hans Zimmer score underneath all the dialogue scenes. Um, Alright, well, let's it's take a, little, a deep dive at, at these movies here. Barbie has continued its uh, steamrolling of the box office uh, already up to $549 million worldwide um, making it one of the highest grossing movies of the year already. <laughs> and it, I think it is the top, uh, I know there was headlines for this, it was the top grossing movie directed by a woman of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like, that was going to happen, no matter who directed it. So it's kind of like an empty platitude. I, I don't know. I could see this movie have, have been going uh, by the wayside. Well, it would still would have made. It is a huge movie this year, yeah. and we have been discussing for the last few weeks how there have been, uh, there's been a bit of a dearth of real blockbuster yeah. type uh, results. It's it had the the fact that a woman directed it, I think, is is uh, just kind of ancillary. Um, but yeah, it is the highest grossing by a woman director. Um, Oppenheimer. $82.4 million this week. Um, did I ever say what Barbie made? It made $162 million in its opening weekend. Uh, Oppenheimer, $82.4. Um, $239 million worldwide. Sound of Freedom still hanging around. <laughs> Dude, this, this, this <laughs> confirms the fact that this movie is being astroturfed out the fucking ass. Ain't yeah. no way people went to go see sound of freedom the same fucking weekend of barbenheimer and mission impossible and it dropped 27 percent. okay this movie is a hundred and ten thousand percent being just propped up by millionaires and billionaires to get it to the top of the box office charts same thing they do with fucking shitty books written by dead presidents or some shit <laughs> um somehow 20 theaters picked this up um no that was <laughs> i like one to of imagine them, one of them was trump's uh golf course yeah <laughs> yeah yeah where they said they showed it on the lawn it's made 136 million dollars all domestic which 
I think puts in like the top 15 highest grossing domestic movies this year. Yeah. Yeah. They got a lot of millionaires just piling money into this fucking shit. God damn it. Sorry, this makes me mad. Yeah. No, the fact that it, yeah, it outplayed Mission Impossible in its second, like, on its second week out either says to me that Mission Impossible is, is re- a relative flop. It is, it is disappointing. Um, but I think a lot of word of mouth about it wasn't super positive because it's a two-parter. Um, but unlike Spider-Verse, where um, the movie felt reasonably complete as its own movie, uh, yeah. this movie felt more like half of a movie. Um, yeah, which, uh, I guess, brings us to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that now. It, it narrowly lost the week to Sound of Freedom, being about $500,000 less, 19.8 versus 19.3, uh, down 64.6%, so a huge drop-off. Um, but I think a lot of that has to do with they released it at a questionable time. Um, Barbenheimer was on the horizon, and whether or not you thought the meme was funny or not it generated enough interest where you knew these movies were going to do well so releasing it one week ahead of that rather than like two weeks after kind of questionable take, take it from a couple of uh sega dream uh, sega uh, saturn fans <laughs> release date matters matters a whole lot um so uh, but it finds itself in, in our spotlight. So we'll get to the bottom of, of just what's going on with Mission Impossible here um, as we go over its scores, which are uh, pretty pretty stellar. Um, 8 out of 10 on IMDb, 96 on Rotten Tomatoes, and a Metacritic score of 881. Uh, and it is rated as a Metacritic must-see. Uh, user score of 8.3 on Metacritic. So and people who have seen it are saying really good things about it. Um, or are they? Because we don't know any of these people who've submitted these reviews. They don't have the courage to attach their name to it. <laughs> but <laughs> the real reviewers always the sign their reviews. reviews, just like artists. So we sign their paintings. Reviewers got to sign, right. sign the review. And we've we've selected a cadre of reviews of varying perspectives from the uh, rich tapestry of the IMDb user review section. And uh, we begin with um, <clears throat> Greenback Hunter. <laughs> All right. Okay. And his review of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, 10 out of 10, titled simply 11. It's a shame I can only give it a 10. I rated Top Gun Maverick a 10. MI7 is better. Great storyline with action from opening credits, opening scene to credits. It's a, it's the same characters saving the world again, and I love it. New characters are added to the story. I don't know how they continue to make unique action scenes, but somehow they do. The last extended sequence is extremely creative. Tom Cruise knows what his audience wants and delivers. I was uncertain about this installment, as I usually do not like part one movies, since it's half a story. 
However, this movie wraps up really well. It will be a tremendous task for part two to match this movie. Four out of five found that helpful. <laughs> okay. I went um, I went dumpster diving this week. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't not to break the fourth wall or anything, um, but I will say, Kurt, I'm sure that review sounded uh amazing. was amazing yeah was amazing uh we'll have to catch it on the on the on the recording uh later when you drop the podcast because you it's too sunny out it, it, it fried you the drop from me because i'm hosting this room <laughs> <laughs> somehow we saw each other still um yeah. and somehow jake will find a one out of ten review for this <laughs> you're back movie. you're back now and you're perfect uh, so I don't know what the fuck happened. Um, I've always been perfect. I never went yeah. anywhere. <laughs> so one out of ten from um, oh, this is all one <laughs> word uh, from Mauricio Mauricio of Ernan Dogerhart. Whoa, <laughs> what is that name? Just, I, syllables I just kept that. happening. Like I get it, I get it's probably a name somewhere, and there's probably like a, a, a Mauricio Fernando a... Gerhardt. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what? The, that's what's a, wrong with my that's, eyes? That's like a fucking wheel of fortune. Yeah, okay, yeah. The, Mauricio the way you Fernando read that, Peter, it sounded like a, a people category on yeah. Wheel of Fortune, and you were solving the puzzle. Mauricio Fernando Gerhardt. Everyone claps. <laughs> I feel like um uh what is the uh it's like watching a Sean magic Connery oh, uh to <laughs> anal rapist no celebrity jeopardy snow tits snow for 500 uh the penis my dear <laughs> Maurice of Ernangart <laughs> I like that better 1 out of 10 um you'll like it if you don't have over 100 IQ Okay. The story. Someone made a super virus. The super virus has free will and can hack anything. <laughs> Not stupid enough. The virus found an AI on the web and became self-conscious. Parentheses. How did it have free will before? You're thinking too much. Why did it need to find an AI if it already had free will? You're thinking too much. Why don't they get those same programmers that made it to stop? You're thinking too much. End of parentheses. <sighs> There's only one way to stop it or control it. Getting two keys and taking them to a vault where you can get the original code to fight it. Parentheses. This has no bearing on how programming works. You're thinking too much. Oh my god, then he oh and then he um shortens it by saying why don't they just open the vault without the key? You're thinking too much, YTTM Every government so end of parentheses. God I hate this guy. <laughs> Every government wants to control oh, it prick. because that would allow them to co control every technological system in the world, but they only send less than 50 people to deal with it. Why? You're thinking too much. Are there scenes in this movie like there are? 
are in every other Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise using a rubber mask. Obviously. One where he runs a lot. Obviously. One where he where things explode. Obviously. How about disarming a bomb? Yes. A car chase? Check. Dealing with heights? Check. Getting orders from a friend in a walkie-talkie about the direction he must run? Check. Having to fight an important enemy that talks a lot? Check. Fighting his second-in-command that talks less? Check. Fighting a lot of people that don't talk? Check. Having to find out who he trusts? Check. (laughs) Having a perfect plan that goes bad and he must improvise to be successful? Check. (laughs) Getting inside a place that is very hard? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Getting romantic feeling of a coast a co-star? Jack. <laughs> so where do important political meetings happen? In a bar or and on a train? What the fuck? You're thinking too much. Okay, let's backtrack a little bit. Those keys those keys where they come from. There was a Russian submarine which had two people in it. And they were wearing some keys in the necklaces. Uh, so the virus created the illusion that uh, another submarine was attacking it. And then the submarine was going to hit it. Then it rerouted the real submarine's <laughs> missiles back to the submarine and exploded the submarine. And so the two people died and didn't get destroyed. And then Paul the McCartney came destroyed. in and started singing about how they live in a yellow submarine. <laughs> Nor did the keys sink to the bottom of the ocean and their bodies floated. Hold on, where are the keys to my submarine? Key- <laughs> two different groups got the keys. What the fuck? You're thinking too much. 20 out of 37 found that helpful. This guy needs to... This guy is thinking too much. 20 people are so wrong. 20 people are more wrong than they ever have been. Like, sometimes I agree with some of the points being made in the one-star reviews, but this guy was just like, this was like a cinema sins. A late-stage cinema sins where they just (laughs) sin it for being a movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This guy, this had plot. Check. Check. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Um... Fuck that guy. We're gonna we're gonna change tones here with this four out of ten from Venom Pool six eight 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 two six six eight eight two six. Sorry, fan of two two good characters right there. I apologize, Kansas. Um, for this one's an educational one and uh, foreshadowing. Uh, if if my pronunciation is bad, I apologize, Kansas. Uh, four out of ten. This time it is just an impossible mission. Certainly, the Chinese translation, Di Zheng Di, for Mission Impossible, holds specific artistic meaning. It combines two parts. One, D. This refers to the discs, DVDs, that the protagonist receives at the beginning of each mission. It represents the missions and actions that unfold throughout the movie. Two, Zheng uh, Zheng Di. This term conveys the idea of infiltrating spies or undercover agents. It suggests that during the mission, there is a constant interplay between light and shadow, where everything may seem clear, but there are hidden complexities and dangers. Taken together, the translation DZD encapsulates the essence of the film's theme and plot. It highlights the missions and action-driven nature of the movie, while also alluding to the suspenseful and secretive elements of espionage. 
The term ZD implies a world of intricate spy operations, where appearances can be deceiving, and the truth is revealed only when the characters remove their disguises, unveiling the intricacies of the spy game. Two out of four found that helpful. <laughs> what did he think of the movie? I don't know. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. Honestly, could not tell I know what he you. thinks about the title of the movie. <laughs> All righty. <clears throat> I read now from the Book of Felix, Chapter 38. <clears throat> Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Mission on the Orient Express. 10 out of 10. Oh, I see. I'm a fanatic when it comes to Agatha Christie, and I hope one day to take a trip on the Magnificent Orient Express. I was thrilled when I found out the train would feature prominently in this film! Exclamation mark. It wasn't just that sequence, though. I was on the edge of my seat from the start, and only expected expository dialogue was clunky. Oh, only the expected expository dialogue was clunky. There are com- Completely, they are completely different movies, but I will bring up and compare it with Kenneth Branagh's Murder on the Orient Express. Parenthetical. This film is definitely not Agatha's. <laughs> Exclamation mark within the parenthetical. Branagh toned down the train's opulence so as not to overshadow the cast. Not so in the world of Mission Impossible. The train is so beautiful. <laughs> Exclamation mark. The Orient Express is trashed parenthetical in a way in both films and i know which one i prefer exclamation mark a few things intrigued me the engine is a steam one which is no longer the case in real life but the current incarnation of the train has a new and different logo but it's nowhere to be seen instead we have the art deco wl logo of the 1930s and i love seeing it on screen in short there was a bonus for me but besides that, it's a great ride everyone will enjoy. Nine out of 15 found that helpful. Somehow. Some that's, way. That's amazing. I, I I just saw the headline and the Agatha Christie name drop in the first sentence. I did not know that movie would be, that review would entirely be about details of the actual Orient Express. <laughs> Um, these, so these the, reviews, they go, they, you never know where they're going to go. Truly wild the, cards. Uh, the common trend of all these uh, one, one in 10s, definitely uh, must have low IQ to like it. And um, keys, what are they? <laughs> one, one out of 10. Ethan is a Mary Sue by Kurt Ben. <laughs> um, Kurt Affair. Um Warning, spoilers. Ethan is a small man, but my goodness, he can do just about anything. It is not realistic to expect us to believe that this slight little man can do it all. The ladies love him, and he can hang off things, and (laughs) jump off things also. Yep, that's all the things. (laughs) Sometimes, all at the same time. He is making love while falling from a plane. Question mark. He is making the sexy times with a lady whilst hanging off a tall building. Question mark. Unrealistic. New paragraph. We are expected to believe that he can do all of this without so much as creasing his trouser. 
we are expected to believe that by the end of each movie, when he smiles, he still has all of his teeth. Unacceptable. <laughs> Do you agree that he is an incredible or an, an invincible Mary Sue? Please indicate that you find this review helpful if you agree that Ethan is a Mary Sue. Thank you. Bullet point Kurt affair. <laughs> I believe the term is Gary Stew when it's a guy. <laughs> 22 agree. 22 yeah. out of 100. Do you agree? Agreed. <laughs> Only 22, though. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a dominant percentage by any stretch They're of the like, imagination. They're like, yeah, he doesn't do any of those things in the movie, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> he is an he overpowered person. Obviously, it's a terrible movie. Um, shout out. So, finally, uh, quick shout out to Gromit 03057 for his 5 out of 10 review. I wonder how many times key is said in this film. That's uh, Apparently, that's a, a sentiment shared by the 1 out of 10ers. But we have Atricoto's uh, 4 out of 10 review. Frankly, it's a very bad movie. I'm not going to do the act. <laughs> Uh, the plot, the plot is stupid. The actions are ridiculous. It's like, can we please have some guys running around like this? Yeah, a little bit more, please. Okay, and add just some like this. Oh yeah. Oh, I have an idea. Let's have some actions on top of a train. Oh yeah, let's do. Oh wait. Let's smash some cars. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Gross. <laughs> Many of the previous episodes were good, but this one is a total waste of time. I can't I can't explain how the ratings now reach 8 out of 10. I don't think it can explain a lot. The only possible reason is that the comments are from uh, MI diehard fans. Most of the people that I overheard at the theater had about the same negative comments. One out of three found that helpful. I can't imagine why. Yeah, real real head scratcher there. All right. Um, let's quickly recap the rest of the box office here and move on with the show. Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny takes fifth place with $6.67 million. Insidious the Red Door takes sixth with $6.35 million, or $6.635. Uh, Elemental is in seventh with $5.7 million. That brings its worldwide gross up to $363 million. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse in week number eight uh, with the Blu-ray release two short months away, um, or really more like a month and a week, five weeks. Um, $2.8 million uh, bring its worldwide total to $677 million. Ooh, so close. Would have been nice to see it break into $700 billion. Yeah. Um, Rise, the Transformers Rise of the Beasts is in ninth. $1.14 million for that. Uh, respectable $428 million. Uh, maybe enough to beat out the Marvels. Who knows? We'll see. Um, and rounding out the top 10 this week, we have No Hard Feelings bringing in $1.085 million, uh, down nearly 67% and in just 1,000 theaters, $83 million worldwide, likely profitable for the mid-budget comedy. All right, 
uh, let's do a quick roundup of gaming news here. Shout out, uh, Little Mermaid is finally out of the top ten. It, yeah. It's finally gone. But yes, gaming news roundup. All right. Um, I'll start. Not strictly gaming news, but um, you get to, starting August 3rd, you can pre-order a piece of home decor that uh, honors the greatest boss in the history of video games. That's right. Um, what, what, what's the finest figures? Fast figures. Fast four figures um, is releasing a figurine or statuette, more more likely, of the great Mighty Pooh. <laughs> um, oh, that's that's so good. This thing's about the size of a human torso, and uh, it is the great Mighty Pooh, uh, corn teeth and all. Um, with the toilet paper roll sticking out of his mouth and Conker standing on a mound of shit in front of him, facing him down. Um, no word if it has a button that plays the song. Uh, I was going to ask, does it sing? Um, they, they, IGN had a trailer for this, and uh, they do play his song during the uh, trailer. Um, so there's there's hope yet, but my... My instinct would tell me that it's just a statuette. Okay. My other question is, does it come with a scratch and sniff panel? We can only hope. <laughs> um, cool. I, I got a couple here. One's one I kind of want to throw into um, the tray watch, but uh, it's it's a kind of an in between. So I'll say it here. Um, just, just some. It's a couple of cameo type uh, crossover events. Uh, this one is in comics, like the actual physical <laughs> comics thing. Um, from the uh, from the writer of the, the Detective Comics and the artist of the Bat Night for the Batman Fortnite crossover comic mm. uh, comes Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong. The comic run of the MonsterVerse DC Universe crossover. Um, there are there cross brand synergy. Arts. Yep, Godzilla and uh, King Kong fight in Metropolis, and the our our gang our gang of guys and gals gotta get together and stop them. Um, this doesn't feel like it. a super big challenge for the Justice League. <laughs> No, but they're, you know, it's a crossover, so they're going to give it their all. Um, I don't know how long the comic is going to run. Um, Probably like six issues. Yeah. First issue comes out in October, uh, and there has been some promotional art. Some of the the variant covers look pretty nifty, like the one Superman flying towards Godzilla. Um, The Bat Mech versus Godzilla. (laughs) He's got his uh, his own Batman version of Gypsy Danger. Um, it looks like it looks like a visual treat. These are going to be some, if not a good story, which I'm you know it probably be a fine story. Um, certainly, some really good posters are going to come out of this. Um, uh, I am not familiar with anything Brian Buccalato has written. Um, yeah, I seems like he was probably just one of the 
Um, oh, seven. Sorry, seven issues. Seven issue series. Okay, so yeah, my, my guess would have been six, but seven works sense too. So it looks like he wrote uh, Injustice and uh, wrote The Flash for a while in 2011. Um, okay. Yeah, it seems like he's done some decent stuff. So it'll be fun if hopefully it'll be fun if nothing else. Yeah, it um, it should be. DC is no. Uh, stranger to the ridiculous cl- crossover, I direct you to Batman versus the Predator and Batman and the Teenage Ninja Turtles and or uh, the Justice League gets helped out by Subway. <laughs> Using J- Jared Fogle is a canonical DC universe <laughs> character. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to as his Phase Clan. Sees how, see how, sees, see how <laughs> uh, this turns out. Um, the, my actual Speak- video game no sorry, my actual video game news. Or are you gonna do it, Jake? Mortal Kombat one? Uh, no, I was gonna do something else. So do, do Mortal okay. Kombat one. Then I'll do Mortal Kombat one. Yeah. Um, it's coming out. <laughs> the no, the um, the important one is the crossover characters that will be featured on the roster as DLC. Omni Man um, and Homelander, Takeda and Ermac, and uh, you know normal inclusions like homelander and omni-man and peacemaker yeah um oh yeah i heard about peacemaker yeah. people were, were wondering what his like final move is going to be like with eagerly or some of that or i or, hope like, it's the sound the, wave the headbutt helmet yeah i that'd be cool i think it will be not as comical as people are expecting i hope it is um oh. but no it's kind of interesting because i think I don't know if anyone still pays attention to Death Battle, but I do remember them doing a Homelander versus Omni-Man episode, and now oh, here they are play available to uh, fight it out in in Mortal Kombat One. Yeah. So uh, the one thing I was going to say, because you brought up the the, the cross promotion stuff, mm-hmm. um, coming to Call of Duty in the new season. Yeah. Um, is none only than Nicki Minaj, Snoop Dogg, oh. and Twenty One Savage. I thought you were gonna say Homelander. I think because well, I think we covered yeah. that a while ago. But I now... think we talked about Homelander last week. Uh, they announced Homelander, and I guess it's a, I guess it's a new game mode actually, um, where there are, uh, it's a bunch of like, it's a they put up a bunch of like Vought movie posters um, around the island, and then you can get um, um, temporary V. And yes, you, you inject can. yourself with temp, temp v, v, and you get a superpower, and then you can like laser people from across the map. So Call of Duty is just becoming Fortnite slower and slower, and like it's just gonna but, become. I mean, Fortnite that's eventually. the whole goal of Warzone was to siphon players from Fortnite. And they're also copying like ideas, like the becoming Halo, becoming the the. John Halo and, and uh, John Halo. Uh, bringing bringing Transformers over. John and, Wick and fights Thanos on Joku's yeah. cloud Nimbus. Seriously, that that's what that's what it's fucking come down to. While well, you swing across the map using and the sort uh what the, the using uh, attack Rick's on portal Titan. gun. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, you know it it's fucking crazy. Spider Man um, web shooters. You know, Call of Duty at least hasn't gone. I, Temp V is like the most extreme they've gone so far. Um, otherwise it's been like internal IP, like introducing zombies to the map. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I mean, 
Call of Duty blew up largely on the back of a game mode about Nazi zombies. Yeah. So, like, they, they introduced that into their war zone. That was, I guess, okay. I haven't played it in, like, a while, so I don't really... I don't have a dog in the game, but it is interesting to see it slowly devolve into Fortnite. Um, but whatever, you know, bring John Halo into into Call of Duty. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, and then, but no, so we're bringing Nicki Minaj into Call of Duty. Yeah, we're bringing Snoop Dogg and Nicki Minaj into it. Um, so the I I know we we don't we don't usually do a ton of like rumors that aren't like valid. Um, but there was a big old leak drop of Switch 2. Um, and I believe the art that was put out there in the concept design that was put out there is not true. Not It's like fake. Like it was a somebody made it. But just mm-hmm. the idea that we have Switch 2 rumors um, and it seems like it's There have been from, Switch 2 rumors for the past like four years. <laughs> Well, I guess this time it's coming from a developer in Spain that was sent um, a uh, like a uh, copy of the Switch Two, um, so they could start programming it for it for the next generation of games. My surprise um, was would have been kind of like that Tears of the Kingdom wouldn't have been like a launch title on whatever the new Switch was going to be, and kind of do what they yeah. did with um, Breath of the Wild. Where, um, I, I actually think it came out on the Wii U first, and then the Switch. Yeah, Breath of the Wild was a dual Wii U Switch release. Mm. So maybe, maybe the uh, Tears of the Kingdom will be a well. I'm well it depends. It would have to come to the market pretty quickly for that. I know. To, I know. To make sense. It, it's Tears of the Kingdom is being you know phased out. Well, um, having releasing old games has never been a problem for Nintendo. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and who knows, maybe it'll at full price no less. Like, uh, well, I actually pack. I shouldn't say that because there's a lot of their games that they're not releasing or letting digitally rot. That's a different story. My my guess is that they're going they're going to release it with like Metroid because I think the developer that like leaked this is a Metroid developer. Um so they might have a new Metroid game that comes out. Uh, with the Switch 2. That'd be pretty quick uh, after Metroid Dread. I guess it depends on what the timeline is. Yeah, I suppose this. that's like, true. Because <laughs> this Switch 2, it might be a rumor, but it might also come out in a year and a half or two years. So I'm not expecting anything right away, but so we are getting closer and closer to Switch the 2. The thing that excites me about the Switch 2 is nothing to do with the Nintendo Switch. It's that possibly... It would mean a new um, NVIDIA Tegra chipset, which could potentially mean a newer version of the NVIDIA Shield, which I would buy because Shield is is great, and uh, I'd like one that has HDMI 2.1, please. (laughs) Sure. But yeah, that's... That's all. I don't want to dwell on too many rumors because it's they're unsubstantiated and it's yeah yeah who knows yeah whatever we got Barbie to get into yeah um y'all can talk about Barbie I'm gonna run upstairs a bit to avoid spoilers oh okay okay (laughs) okay sure um yeah we'll get into this um we'll disappear off to the real world while we talk about Barbie uh so Barbie was fan. Fantastic, um, ladies and gentlemen, Barbie slaps. 
Barbie slaps. The song in Barbie, Ken, the Kennergy is real in <laughs> the Barbie. The Kennergy is true. Um, so right off the spoiler-free section of this, I'll just yeah. say... Before, before we even talk about the movie, we should talk about going to see the movie. Oh, that was an event, too. Right? The hype and the, the amount of uh, people that went out. You know, mm. I haven't seen people dress up for a movie uh, in a long time. Yeah. Um, Very you long know, time. Every now and then you'll see, like, anime fans going to see, like, uh, the Demon Slayer movie. And they'll dress up like Tanjiro and Nezuko and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, like, the first time I've seen, like, just everyday people just dressing up in all pink. And cowboy yep. pink frilly hats. And loving life, taking pictures in the uh, the Barbie box, and it was cool. It was really really cool. Yeah. Um, we I this got movie. In there. Sorry, I got in there, and yeah. you sit down in the theater, and it's like a pre-show before a concert. Like this was not really. It was almost less of a movie. Like I said, it was like an event, like a venue. Like you're, you're going to see your performance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pink all around, going crazy, and then the movie. Pink starts. all around. Yeah, this is definitely a. Barbie movie and Greta Gerwig knocked it out of the park. Um, awesome casting, awesome performances from Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. Um, it was a um, a heartfelt movie with a lot of thought put into it. Um, this also had a lot of like things for adults to pick up on. You had yes. a lot of references and motifs to older cinema, older directors that Greta Gerwig likes herself. Um, she talks about this in numerous uh, interviews where she had a lot of like nods to old uh, Kubrick movies and older, um, you know, yep. acclaimed directors. Um, and, and, and a lot of thought was put into the meaning behind a lot of this. Um, and obviously you're going to have a lot of like um, feminism movements, a lot of uh, patriarchy Mm-hmm. Um, critiques about this movie, uh, and, and and you know what? If you put all of that aside, it's still a fun, fun, fun movie. Yeah. You have a, an amazing set design, yes, um, very theatrically that, set up, which that, is yeah. both like it works with the uh, the structure and premise of like it trying to break through the fourth wall and doing a lot of meta narrative sort of stuff. A lot of post. There's a lot of postmodern in this movie, but it also evokes the Barbie Playhouse, which a yeah. lot of the design of Barbie Land is perfect at doing. Yeah. Um, and, and the uh, so getting into a little bit of the more spoilery territory. Um, so if you want to skip this part, skip ahead you, maybe 10, my, 15 minutes. Yeah. My recommendation is if you like pink stuff and Barbies, go watch the Barbie movie. If you like dunking on Barbie, also go watch the Barbie movie. If you liked everything everywhere all at once, also go watch the Barbie movie <laughs> because I feel like this could make a great companion piece to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this the, the trailer said it all. If you like Barbie, this movie's for you. If you hate Barbie, this movie's for you because it dunks on it too. It's, it's self-aware. It mm-hmm. knows its audience very well and it knows its product. It knows what it has done in the past, and I'm surprised that Mattel let them get away with a lot of stuff uh, criticizing Barbie and criticizing Mattel for certain actions that it has done. Mm-hmm. So and so there, there are things where they talk about past products that probably would have been good, but they've deleted them or they've, they've discontinued them. Like, there was a gay Ken doll that they made way back in the day before, like, 
gay iconography was like popularized and Mm -hmm. it was a nightclub ken and it was a gay ken and they discontinued that and this it was made a cameo in this movie Um, sugar daddy ken (laughs) yeah then there was sugar daddy ken there was uh pregnant barbie there was uh alan which was like uh you know the only one alan yeah yeah so this this just I I know very little about Barbie. I know that there's a doll. I know that I wanted like the camper set back when I was a kid, but my parents mm-hmm. didn't want me to turn out gay, so they got me the the Playmobil version of it. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. And they they had a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of um, uh, great products from Barbie that I think. Uh, withstands the 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 you know time mm-hmm. and and everybody can recognize and appreciate. Yeah. Um. So I, with that being said, uh, quick into the spoilers. Um, Barbie. It's about um these two mirrored worlds, the Barbie world and the real world. Uh, they're kind of sort of connected through this mumbo jumbo of uh of of is your. It really kind of feels like the um, the hero. So it feels like it, it starts like the hero's journey, where yeah. you have you know Barbie normal normal day in Barbie land, which is great for jokes because um, you get to play up all the Barbie stuff. But then she they set up the characters and she starts having like <laughs> nihilistic existential dread creep yeah. in. Yeah, and and you don't know the whole premise right away. Like you just see you just imagine a Barbie having this uh like realization about life and it's it's funny it's, it's comical like they like her, her her whole lifestyle is kind of like degrading and becoming more human i would say because they're all perfect up until this point and then barbie becomes more like a human mm-hmm. um and starts questioning her lifestyle so she finds out she needs to run to the real world and find her child that is playing with her and fix what's going on with it because the it's bleeding over the the right the reality the void ble- bleeding over the void is bleeding vice versa over. yeah like, which um i love i love this as a concept like the fact yeah. that i i love the premise that she said yes barbie land is a thing that exists and barbie the icon and concept and like aspect of reality is also a thing that can just go and talk to people yeah, it, you know, and the movie tells us, like, don't think about it too much. <laughs> it's, it's, it, you're, you're not going to get it. And, and Will Ferrell, I think, made a joke about it where, like, they're like, yes, it it, it exists. Uh, but don't think about it too much because it's just we don't want it to, like, bleed over too much because it could right. it could have disastrous effects. Not, I'm not saying what, but mm-hmm. bad things will happen. So um, so Barbie goes over into the real world, tries to find her kid. And they have a lot of like antics and hijinks of them interacting mixed with like with the these, real world. Some really sweet, like just sprinkled in there, some like poignant, very poignant scenes and quiet moments, which are great for the pacing. Yeah, which which is like you can really appreciate, it. and you don't get this a lot of the times with like movies that are geared more towards children that have like innuendo jokes that are for the adults. There was a really good scene where she's just sitting on the bench. And she turns over. She's crying. She turns over this old lady, and you know these Barbies. They think that they fixed the world. They they think that they right. have. That was the equal... first joke in the movie. Is like, yes, Barbie was created and it fixed everything, and we were all okay. The end. Yeah, 
so now she's coming to this realization that the Barbies didn't do that. And she turns to this old lady and says, wow, you are beautiful. You, you really are doing something. And she says, I know. So it's like that generation, like that, maybe her mission, her life meant something to her. Uh, and they did do something like they're there. It's not, mm-hmm. not all hope is lost and it's a really sweet moment. And then they move on to, to Ken finding out about the patriarchy. Yeah. Um, just stumbling into, and, Oh, I can just, I'm a man. I can do what I want. Yeah. Hilarious. And it, it's, I, you gotta, you gotta think about it as like, these are aliens coming to, um, this new world and they're learning about everything and they're taking everything as facts. That's why Ken was like, I don't know if men are in charge or if horses are in charge, but I figured that horse horses like, are just men extenders. <laughs> so, Every line out of Ken's mouth is golden. Ryan Gosling nailed it with this. Um, he is just pure. Every scene that he's in, he steals it. Every line that he, he plays uh, or says is filled with uh, character and realism of like what a Ken doll would be like in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of real subtle tones and messages here and there that are awesome. Um, my favorite line was when they called Barbie a fascist and she's crying because she, she's like, how can I be a fascist? I don't control railways or commerce, <laughs> yeah. which is fucking hilarious it's because so it good. like it, it, you know, it, it also digs at like, the liberal sentiment of like, we can just call everybody a fascist or we can just call everybody one thing. And after a while you use it so often that you just like, it stops losing its meaning. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, yeah. it, like maybe the they're words. not actually fascist. Like they have maybe a fascist sentiment or, uh, it's diet fascism, but it's like, it's not really that. And Barbie's yeah. just pointing out the fact that like, we've lost the meaning of these actual words and of what this, we call it. Yeah. And at the same time, it's the joke which you wouldn't expect stereotypical Barbie to be this well-read and understanding. But then, you again, you would because the whole setup of Barbie Land is that Barbies are all the most well-educated, uh, yeah. smartest, and most well-accomplished people in that, in that world. Yeah. Um, um, so we'll, we'll fast forward a little bit. So she finds out her kid is not her kid. It's actually the mom, which is pretty... Um, that's telegraphed pretty well. Yeah, you, see um, you see that coming from a mile ahead. Um, so it's not like a, a, a like a plot twist when they real when she realizes that oh my kid isn't my kid. It's really her mom that is playing with me, and I'm uh, her feelings are, are coming over me. She's there's some good jokes about anxiety and yeah. and um, self consciousness, self awareness. Um, so and, yeah. Yeah, you, you have this this moment, and, and the mom is, like, trying to help her and trying to, like... Because she eventually gets captured by Mattel and right. is almost put into a box, which is, you know, so very cool. nice because it's a, a wonderful metaphor um, and analogous of, like, we, you know, the, the men, the patriarchy, want to control women and put, put them, them in a box, box, a figurative box. And they have to be a certain way this entire time. And if they're not, if they're out of the box... We have to punish them in some way, shape, or form, or we have to control them better. Will Ferrell's scenes in the boardroom were great. His scenes elsewhere were fine. I think they just wanted to have him in more of the movie because he is great for this kind of thing. It's weird that he has like the perfect experience for this movie, considering he was both in Elf and the Lego movie. 
Yeah. This is a, a material and a, a screenplay that he's he should be very familiar with. But all of his lines in the boardroom are great. He's like, you can't you cannot come in here and tell me this news right now. And the assistant's like, Can I tell you in a whisper? He's like, Oh, okay, okay. And then <laughs> like little like little classroom girls, they're just passing the whisper down the line. The one thing I noticed from the the boardroom, because um, there's a lot when you see the Barbie world versus the real world, um, you have to kind of think of them as like mirrors, and um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of points where you're like, people are acting not so realistic, and the boardroom scene is a is a primary example of this, where all the other peons of Will Ferrell act like. Kens or act like Barbies in this real world. They almost they almost act dumb to a um, a certain extent where they're where they're being dominated. And I think it's a, probably a critique of like the patriarchy. Like both can be seen as a critique of either side. Like mm-hmm. the Barbie world had a matriarchy or what should yeah. maybe a matriarchy would look like, and the Kens are just kind of there. They're they're just pining after the attention of the Barbies. That's all they're there for. Meanwhile. The Barbies run the world. The women, they run everything, and everything is mm-hmm. perfect for them. And in this world, and the real world that we're talking about, which, you know, could be... It, it's probably a little bit more of a dramatic, dramatized like I version mean, yeah. of our world. Because um, I don't think actual Mattel boardroom is run like this, where they're all men. They're all, like... Um, you know, they're under the thumb of the CEO. He's all powerful, but they are still in charge. They still think they're important. Right. Um, but it's, and they're, they're running the show. You can highlight it because we already understand that this is a concept and a thing that happens. Um, yes. They, they, so she escapes from Mattel and she sees the, <laughs> the, the cameo by Ruth Handler, which is funny because, again, it's the, it's, the, it's the duality of this movie. That, I'm, that scene on its own is a very sweet and uplifting and personal scene. Um, where uh, Margot Robbie and, and Ruth are having this conversation. It's like, it's very inspiring and talking about, you know, what it means to be a woman. And then, like, later in the movie, Will Ferrell plays it as, like, a joke. Oh, yeah, <laughs> her ghost is on the 17th floor. She has a corner <laughs> office. I was like... Which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, but they, yeah, they bring their newfound knowledge back to the, the world of, the mundane world, which is Barbie world. Um but it now this is where it kind of moves off the axis of the the hero's journey because it's like bad knowledge and it's starting to fuck up the the real world with effects. I love how they show the stakes in that um, you get like depressed Barbie <laughs> and yeah. the aforementioned Mojo Dojo Casa House are appearing as products <laughs> and they're selling like hotcakes. Um, I think this is uh, I think this is where you know we're gonna glaze this movie up left and right, but I do have to add in a little bit of a balancer to to uh add a critique um is um if this was a real company if uh you know they kind of set up will ferrell as like a um uh, not so benevolent ceo he wants the good for his company and then he gets notified that like the ken dolls are like selling like hotcakes i almost expected him and i did expect him to help Ken and not help Barbie, but he was like all on top of this, like, oh, we gotta fix Barbie yeah. world. I'm okay for this. I would have expected him to be like, no, 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 we gotta keep Ken like this because this is actually mm-hmm. helping the real world. And I think the writing just didn't fit where they wanted it to go. Yeah. And it I think it would have probably hurt the overall message. But this is where it kind of lost me because they're like, 
okay, well, if they're the Kens are affecting the real world and and actually selling product like this and being a successful product, you would think that Mattel would want to keep this like that and actually run with the Ken dolls. But mm-hmm. you could also interpret this as like, okay, well, we've we've put a lot of focus on Barbie. We also have like an untapped market for Ken as well. So yeah. maybe we should and not necessarily replace Barbie, but also prop up Ken mm-hmm. as well, which could be a, a nice supporting theme to this entire movie yeah. where it's not about taking down one gender over right. another. It's about supporting another while also you know well, recognizing that the, you yeah. have the that was one of the big climaxes was that the the downside the effects of the patriarchy and toxic masculinity on men was the weakness that the barbies yeah. used to stop the takeover and brainwashing yeah. uh was undermining their own sense of like having to compete with everyone else and also having you know while following the exact same trends which was a great little montage to <laughs> steal back the barbies from the the guys taking them over uh, and it ends with like with the affirmation, the af- the affirming message of um, guys are enough. You do not have to have, you know, you don't have to have a Barbie yeah. to be a good enough Ken. You know, you can do it on your own. And that shirt, I am Ken enough. That is gonna sell like fucking gangbusters. I, I already looked one. up. I, it's it's still on pre order. I I'm really debating on it. Sixty dollars. I might be able to, I might be able to fit that in. Um, um, and finally, I, just to. To, to wrap yeah. it up here, uh, it should we should not go without mentioning the entire soundtrack. So many good musical numbers yeah. by everyone. The performances were like actual performances. Very um, Billy Billy Eilish's song that comes in at the end, fantastic song. Uh, mm-hmm. Recommend you go look that up and just listen to yourself. Yeah. She made this for the Barbie movie. Uh, Greta Gerwig was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! Perfect, yeah. perfect fit for the movie." Um, so- it, it's it's a really fitting uh, musical number for this, and uh, I'll sum this. And up. Yeah. yeah, I'll sum this up with the most pretentious thing you could say about this movie. Um, <laughs> Barbie achieves uh, detheosis via auto iconoclasty, thus it uh, transcending the hero's journey and destroying yeah. the male dominated monomyth, thus and, achieving and equality between the genders. <laughs> With the greatest and, uh, ending line in like the last five years, yeah. Uh, and and one one final thing that I'll say um, because I've I've seen a lot of critiques about this movie. Um, if you if if people had a problem with the ending of this movie, it's really telling because the ending of this movie is just a mirror of what our society is. So if you have a problem with that you should also be able to recognize that we have a problem still in our society. We're getting better, just like the Barbie world is getting better, but there's still work to be made. If you have a problem with that message, I think you should take take a peek in the mirror before before you start uh, critiquing a a movie about a child's toy uh, that is, yes, going to sell like hotcakes and is going to open up the Mattel cinematic universe, which so I am not watch happy the about. Viewfinder movie. Yeah, I am not. I am not happy about that. This does not get a pass. Uh, your your jokes on capitalism and and fascism is a uh, is nice. Arguments noted. Y- you cannot. You cannot give me that and then also make me forget about the fact that you want to make a Hot Wheels movie and a Barney A twenty four. How bad would a Hot Wheels movie be though? 
They've already tried it though. <laughs> Did animated Hot Wheels? I thought the Hot animated. Wheels. I remember the animated Hot Wheels being surprisingly good. That was uh, no joke. Intent, no pun intended. That was fire. Um, but I, I, if they just make all I want is just Fast and Furious, but they put in the loop de loops. The it's it's getting so do it's getting so close to our joke about like the movie the movies about the horror movies about like child games. It's getting so close. It's, they've announced they want to do an Uno movie. Dude, we're there. We're, <laughs> we had the, the, the Ouija board movie came out, which, what which is, I remind you, is a toy by Mattel. I need to remind everyone <laughs> also that it's been well established that at least myself and possibly those closest to me as well have inherited the power of Joke Manji, where mm. the jokes I make... I speak into existence. They happen. You can check the records. Yeah. We all we <sighs> all knew this was going to happen at some point, and we're finally here. Um, I know. We just just got to ride it out. Um, so yes, go go watch the Barbie movie. Maybe not on the same night as Oppenheimer. Um, I did it. I, I it wasn't the worst thing. Um, it it is five hours of movie though, and. Uh, you know, as ex- as you might expect, there's not an, an intense amount of thematic crossover. <laughs> no, um, from the bright pink pastel world of Barbie, we move now to the brown, washed out <laughs> and desaturated at points world of Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we'll, we'll, I'll get this out of the way first. I thought this movie was fantastic. Um, I believe yeah. this is Chris Nolan's best movie since Inception. Um, people made a lot of comments about the way the story was told being kind of confusing. And I think they kind of violate a couple of the rules of the framing devices they were using, which made it confusing in spots. But generally speaking, it's Oppenheimer's telling his side of the story from like beginning up to the bomb and then the senators telling like more present after the bomb story and they kind of go back and meet mm-hmm. in the middle um it gets a little confusing when the same events are covered from different perspectives but they do use the uh the color saturation to kind of mark it as being from one point of view or the other um so i didn't find it too difficult to follow in that regard um yeah. I, I I think I agree there. Like if you if you just if you if you are paying attention, um, it it flows and it'll make sense. And one thing flows into the next. It's not like he's trying to. It's not like primer or something where they're trying to get you lost and tangled. Yeah, up. It's, it's not memento. That, yeah, it's just trying to um, keep. It's it's organized. It's like when you take a list that's organized in all, all the left-hand column by, like, date. Yeah. And you click on another column to organize it, like, by uh, theme. <laughs> right? <laughs> Everything gets shuffled around, but there's still an order in there. Um, yeah. And it still follows. And I think it was it was largely just a means to get away from strictly linear storytelling, which is something yeah. that a lot of biopics fall into. That kind of makes them perhaps a little less in- interesting than they could be. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, so I'll say for this again, yes, good movie. Um, I feel like there is as, as good as it is, I still think there is some 
extra hype clapped on top of it. I don't believe like I feel like there's some comments that are like this is this is like revolutionized movie or not revolutionized, but it's like this has changed the movie game forever or like this is like like the cinematic peak or something like that. And it's like it's not that. It's just a really well executed, really done yeah. well movie. That is there's a, there's that is a also a non fantastical drama, which mm-hmm. I think that there has been a hunger for, at least a high profile theatrical yeah. release. Of yeah. Something there's been a lot of um, yeah. cinephiles out there who are um, really hammering in on the fact that he used um, no, I want to be specific about this, no CGI, still use visual effects. Um, I think probably to clean up some of the stuff that they used. Um, but there was no CGI in a lot of the explosions. and that, But that only accounted for a very small portion of this movie. So I, I don't know how much that really um play like avatar created this whole well, technology so- and people were putting that on a pedestal because of it and i don't i think there are some people who are trying to do the same with this movie i don't think it hits as hard as avatar but it's definitely to be noted that uh, you know christopher Dude. nolan wanted to be as authentic as possible Use no CGI. Well, use all practical yeah. effects for the explosions it's, and some of the other effects, which are I'm sure there are very good stories about how you make stuff like the the simulation of electron orbitals. And a lot of it you know, was like they 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 covered ping pong balls in in fluorescent paint and the, threw those around a room did and the long used exposure. a um, use a microscopic um, IMAX camera or used somehow. Use IMAX camera and the microscopic scale um, to see different things, like a, a I think it was a, a fluid suspension to see all the particulates in it. Um, I don't know what scenes there were. I, f- I forgot exactly what what it was, well, but there's probably a lot of stories about. Moreover than just the practical effects, like so, a lot of CG in movie movies these days is the set. And mm-hmm. if the the budget for the CG isn't good, then that can be very distracting. But this was shot in real locations, and it's yeah. it's a type of filmmaking that you don't see much anymore. And it was very well executed. And as a technical feat, this is a three hour IMAX movie. That that wasn't yeah. possible until recently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And, and you know, there's a lot of talk about how many theaters can actually run this i think there's 15 um, in the know, u.s that have a true imax um, 7015 yeah projector yeah 19 or 20 some of that the projectors are you know they had to even make extenders for them in certain cases um that's why i heard um and it wasn't true because i guess whatever i watched and i guess what we watched was all digital yeah um and they can add trailers to that um because there's no space uh, constraint on yeah, the hard drive but there was literally no <laughs> there was no space on the film reel to add the trailers um for the 70 millimeter yeah. film if you look at the pictures uh, which of is that reel it's like cool. seven feet in diameter it's like it's something like 11 miles of like film. yeah it's some stupid it's like that ridiculously cool um like that that is that is really neat um and gotta be fucking expensive oh i'm sure too. so <laughs> I get why there's not that many um, theaters that are still running because I'm sure it was uh, not very lucrative 
to keep that shit running. Um, but cool if you live near one. I did not end up making the trip up to King of the, Prussia. The closest um, one to us is in Manhattan, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that would have been is sold out for weeks. Yeah. So. Yeah. I no prayer of getting a ticket uh, in time yeah. to do the show. Um, yeah. Acting was fantastic from everyone in this yeah. movie. Everyone brought. There's literally no performance where you go, that was just all right. Um, and and oftentimes you get like big name actors who just phone it in because you know you want to put a big name actor thrown in here, even though they only have like five minutes of like dialogue. No actor did that. Everybody gave it their all in these performances. Um, it was it was fantastic. I, I enjoyed every single character that came up and what they had to say. It was engaging. It was um, for a movie that is just people talking in a room, essentially, um, and high stakes. I think that's one of the reasons um, I love it, because I'm a huge fan of 1950s-era science fiction movies, which is largely a lot of scientists in a room talking um, with the occasional big effect, which describes this movie pretty aptly um, (laughs) as well. And I just, as long as the dialogue is good and the story is engaging, you can make a movie that is all dialogue. I talk a lot about 12 Angry Men on this show and how great a movie it is. 95% of that movie takes place in one room and is just dudes talking in that room. Um, It can be done well and it can be engaging. And this movie, I feel, uh, does it well and is very engaging. It did not, to me at least, feel like a three-hour long movie. It felt long, don't get me wrong. But like I would have told you, Mm -hmm. if I didn't know the runtime and you asked me after I got out of there, um, how long was that movie? I would have been like, yeah, two and a half hours, maybe 240. That's how I thought. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I looked at my watch at the end. And when we got out, and I was like, that wasn't three hours, was it? It certainly was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that being the, said, uh... <laughs> I also think there is good room for the movie. If you're going to, if you watch this multiple times, or if you bring this for a home release, or if you're doing an, a watch event for this, <laughs> um, I think this would work also very well with, um, as a three act setup with two small intermissions. I definitely felt, um, kind of towards the middle of the movie appropriately, that that was a spot where you would have done an intermission back in the day. Mm-hmm. It was funny because somebody um, had posted a, hey, if you're going to see Oppenheimer, here's the best time to go take a pee break. Yeah, here's your pee break. Um, uh, it was, uh, and it was, it was when, um, when Oppenheimer's brother visits Los Alamos uh, you can you can go away for like five minutes and you don't really miss anything that happens because it's like they're like the only thing that happens is it gets a security clearance that's everything of like note. Um, but you know it's funny because that's the stuff you can miss. But I was still engaged. I still remember yeah. that because they had such a great cast and a great um, uh, writer on this to where you felt engaged and compelled to watch these these scenes go through, even though it's something as minor as. Hey, did I get my security clearance? And he's like, "Uh, yeah, here you go. I don't want to give it to you, but here you go." Um, the one there's... thing about this movie, and like I, I understand why it's this way because it's a Oppenheimer biopic, right? It's not a movie about the Manhattan Project. 
but I would have liked to have seen more of the Manhattan Project, like at the satellite sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I. This is going to be a weird uh, description of this, but um, even though like the main part of the movie is about the atomic bomb. I feel like the way they talked about it and the way it was discussed, especially in the context of Christopher Nolan's other movies, I almost feel like they almost took it for granted. Like, I would have loved if they even ramped up the drama around it more of what this thing was and what it was able to do. But even so, Um, when they, the scene where they're about to do the Trinity test, like, my heart was pounding and I knew. Yeah. I knew what happened. Like I knew yeah. that it went off okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like the like during that seat, I wanted similar levels of tension throughout it. And I also, in the context of like Christopher Nolan's other works, like a lot of his other movies are focused around frequently some piece of technology or some concept that gets a lot of love and a lot of adoration. And in terms of time spent talking about it and thinking about it Mm -hmm. and conceptualizing about it. And I, I feel like there, there almost could have been more of that in this movie. I mean, I think they do a good job of, of bringing up the, they give it a good, yeah. um, The, the, even even though, you know, it it is a weird concept because we live in a, we live in a society. (laughs) Yeah. We live in a world, world, a post, we live in a post-nuclear world, and we know everything. We can explode them without anything bad happening. But a big fear at that time was the potential to possibly annihilate the world. We just could from a catch test. the atmosphere on fire. <laughs> and it's like, and that's a good thing to remember because of the last scenes in this movie with Albert Einstein and what he said to him about, "I think we did start a war. I think we did start the world on fire." You know, it's just a slow burn, but we started a chain reaction, and they did, in all intents and purposes. It was it created an arms That's... race to get the biggest stick that you can and, you know, nuclear deterrence, mm-hmm. whatever you want to say, whatever you want to say to make you sleep at night. Um, we essentially have every country that owns nuclear weapons just having a loaded gun pointed at each other's head. And the only reason why... Nobody's going to shoot off one of them is because we're all going to shoot them off and we're all going to end up dying in the end. And that's not a fun thing to think about. Right. Um, and that's not a great concept for a bomb either. If you have a bomb that is just going to implode everything, you know, essentially you do have, you, you have ignited the atmosphere. You made a bomb that was too big to use. Um, and, and, and I think, I think a, one of the things that this movie there. highlights. Well, not a joke, yeah. but a, a little conversation. Right when they were picking oh, targets, yeah, yeah, because they were like saying, "Well, even if we did make an H bomb, there's no target big enough on Japan that is worth bombing." Which is true. The comprehension of that is scary, just because it's like yeah. you're talking about bombing innocent people at that point. I mean, innocent people were bombed during Hiroshima and Nagasaki, yeah, and a lot of it were hospitals. And if the Geneva Conventions were around. U.S. would be, you know, you know, asshole yeah, number one. Did commit a of couple like, war crimes there. That's that's a that's a lot of war crimes that were committed right there, and um, and I think I think a lot of the world just kind of glazes over the fact that it's just like, oh no, it had to be done because 
uh, it ended World War II. Which like, was it, great. It had to be done. Because um, I know that's, that is a, a con- still a contentious argument today, for sure. Um, if you want to re- listen more about that aspect of the bombs dropping, there's a great documentary by Sean just called Dropping the Bomb, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But when I was watching the movie, when they made that thing, it's like, if we didn't use the bomb... We would. They wouldn't have stopped till we invade. And someone in someone in the audience is like, "Wrong." <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's man. I don't want to get into like too contentious of a thing, but this is where the movie kind of culminates in its controversial points being made. And I guess Oppenheimer. I didn't really know this about Oppenheimer about his communist past, but you know, a lot of this movie brings up very controversial questions about what could we have done differently. And, you know, everybody's bringing up good points throughout this. I mean, they, they make a point to say Albert Einstein is like, hey, we have this idea of this really destructive thing. Why don't we just bring it to the Nazis and say, look, if we continue this trajectory, this is how it's going to play out. And it's not going to be good for anybody. We have to settle on an agreement to not use, not continue building these, not even use these things. Yeah. You know, and... That, you know, arguably on paper could be the right thing to do. But in reality, I think we were just so jaded that the fact that, you know, we didn't believe Nazis were going to not build it. So we have yeah. to build it. But then they're thinking the same thing. So they're probably going to build and it that's too. The, that's one of the interesting just things about the whole nuclear program was that the, the science and the production of a nuclear bomb is one of those special types of secrets in that because it's derived from natural law, you people will figure it out eventually. No matter, you can keep that secret perfectly. It doesn't matter. Someone people will discover figure it out yeah. on their own. Um, so you're not only racing against trying to not leak information, you're also trying to uh, fight against the actual flow of time and the flow of human progress. And, and I think, I think tr- the one thing they pointed out with Truman was that his logic was very flawed and the fact that he was so confident that the Soviets were never going to get these weapons, uh, that Russia was never going to have these weapons, and we need to have it before before they do, you know, I, I don't know. It, so it was very very silly to think that you know that that uh, uh, we could ever talk uh, a U.S. president into not using these. But it was a, I think it was a uh, uh, brave kind of. Uh, task uh, adventure a hero's journey to try to um try to stop it before i do i also do like how they pose the moral question so i guess we're kind of verging into spoilers here so um go see it obviously um but uh if you don't want to be spoiled then part ways here Mm -hmm. um after hitler kills himself and germany surrenders um, Spoilers. at Los Alamos, there's a big discussion <laughs> about whether it's ethical to continue development on the bomb. Because the whole deal was we needed the bomb before the Nazis got one. We've defeated the Nazis. It's over. We can we can stop this. We don't have to do this anymore. Um, and you know that a very sizable contingent of the scientists working on that were of the opinion that this should never see the light of day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it plays. I guess that plays into the character theme of Oppenheimer. That 
Um, they they do push this throughout the movie, and it's not like they're trying. Uh, think about Christopher Nolan; he's he's making this film that has a lot of, that has themes and and a lot of interacting characters in it. Um, but he's not really burying a lot in the subtext. So, like, if you can you can dig, and there's a lot of good readings you could probably do on this. But uh, he's very at least explicit about kind of uh, setting up that Oppenheimer is the he's the man of theory who thinks about the theory and doesn't consider what how it plays out in the real world. And that's that is one of the themes of the movie is him having to come to terms with the ramifications yeah. of his his actions and what the real how the real world is going to uh As, especially because he's being labeled by everybody as the father of the atomic bomb. Right. Yeah. And he so yeah. He, they talk so. about how he leans into that to try and be able to get in and change the narrative and change it from the inside. But as with many things in life, trying to change things from the inside is a tough, tough road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do. He, there was kind of like a uh, parabolic arc almost to his character, where in the beginning, I felt he was much more conscious of like social causes. You know, he gave to uh, the uh, rebels in the Spanish, Spanish Civil, Civil War. War. Um, He had an interest in human issues, but as his uh, pursuit of his goal of this bomb kind of became more central to his life, I feel like his personality changed a little bit. He became a lot more focused on getting this bomb to work and then subsequently using it that he lost sight of a lot of the potential ramifications. And then in the second act, he kind of, starts to have cold feet about it because he's kind of thinking from a more human perspective um mm-hmm. well well i think i think part of that was also the fact that there was such a big focus on the red scare and um any sort of like i think a lot of his political ideologies which i, I didn't know at the time um but right, i think that's what, a, it, I, I think I what a lot of people understand get out of it is this whole side yeah. of his, his life <clears throat> He, he was so he had so much connections to the Communist Party, and it is I, I find it kind of funny that you know we say Communist Party, but really he was just really pro union, yeah. which is not a very communist uh, policy now. Uh, well, it we depends on who you ask. Landscape. <laughs> yeah, I guess, but um, I, I, you know, there's still a lot of people who are. I would say conservative and think that unions are a very good idea to have in this to give workers rights. And he was very pro-union. And I guess that just at the time came along with the moniker of pro-communist. Well, that's um, kind of what the Red communist. Scare was all about. It was about, you know, yeah. people who were of a more, uh, I don't even want to say conservative, like proto-fascist mindset wanted the country to be, you know, conforming to their values use right. the Identify communist label out um disruptive peoples yes to use this yeah. you know um what's what's the scientology term for it i yeah i think it is disruptive persons yeah yeah so so you have it was this, largely a witch um, hunt side is the, of, the point i'm making yeah 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 and, and you have this this side of him and now he's like okay well now my passion Nuclear physics, quantum physics, and my my passion is getting married to my government, and my government doesn't like this side of me. I have to abandon all that. Like he kind of had to pick and choose. They didn't really focus on this too much, 
but you did see at certain points he tried to like um, step away from people who were affiliated with the Communist Party um, mm-hmm. because if he had any chances of continuing work with the government, uh, he can't have that side of him uh, exist. Like he just he has to stamp out all affiliations, um, and every every step of the way, he was becoming uh, a try. They tried to affiliate him more and more with that, especially mm-hmm. during that. Um, I, I guess what do you call it? The deposition yeah, courtroom. The deposition. Yeah kind of see investigation or the the cabinet hearing which um plays into the i guess the kind of ending of this movie which was it's a very christopher nolan i can see why he wanted to tell this story because this is a very christopher nolan thing to do (laughs) in the movie is have the very end of the very late in the movie um political uh betrayal or twist (laughs) the double agent kind of thing um, it happens in Inception, it happens in Tenet, and it happens in this when um, the aides reveal that, like, uh, you know, Strauss, who wanted to um, besmirch um, Oppenheimer's name as revenge, he was actually being played the whole time. And he was, and he ended up getting denied his Senate seat. And I was like, that's, yeah. that's Christopher Nolan writing right there. <laughs> Well, that and also the the idea between uh, Strauss and Oppenheimer being like two nuclear countries and both having mutual assured destruction uh, where Strauss was going to destroy Oppenheimer's career, but not until Oppenheimer made sure that he had all the scientists on his side to destroy Strauss's career. Mm-hmm. And that, that uh, I think Rami Malek's character, I'm not sure who it was, but he was like the was. the last linchpin that yeah, like, he was... put the last nail in the coffin for his um, Senate hearing to say, yeah. And he, they, yes. not, they not got there. him because he worked at one of the alternate um, sites yeah. and they thought he would maybe not be so loyal to Oppenheimer, but he... Thought he was divorced from Oppenheimer enough, gave... but he wasn't. I think, and the... There's a reoccurring theme that I like in this, which um, is like scientists holding uh, like crazy vendettas, um, and, and and you know it came up with Strauss, um, who held this vendetta against Oppenheimer for um, ridiculing him at another um, congressional uh, hearing or some of like that about isotopes. Um, uh, you also had like uh, it started, I guess, with Albert Einstein, where Albert Einstein fucking like just brushed off Strauss, hated him. And that's where he said, well, scientists are very vindictive. Um, so I don't know what Oppenheimer said to him to make him glare at me like that. You had um, Oppenheimer's wife. I Kitty, love the the who, end uh, retort to that, though, where, you know, maybe you ever think they were discussing something a little more important because Strauss's whole like the ar- he's the architect of his own downfall. And the reason he yeah. he orchestrated his own downfall is because he's so self-absorbed and self-obsessed that he can't yeah. see the bigger picture of any of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he always thought people were talking about him. He he was he, so he was pro H bomb because uh, Truman wanted the H bomb and he wanted to move up in his career. So he was going to do whatever it took yeah. to get that H bomb project off the ground, regardless of the broader consequences that it would have on the world. Yeah. Only looking at like surface level stuff to say that oh yeah Russia definitely has is starting this. Uh, here's here's the facts right here, um, and and uh, you know Kitty uh, Oppenheimer's wife um, holding that vendetta against uh, Teller, one of the other scientists that 
um, kind of threw Oppenheimer to the the lawyers uh, by selling him out, and she was so pissed that Oppenheimer shook his hand at the apparently true story at the end, um, where Kitty did not shake Teller's hand and glared at him because she's also a biologist, I believe, yeah. and uh, wasn't she like a biologist? So she's also the scientist who has this like extreme vendetta and extremely vindictive against people who cross her. Um, and will not let that. It was go. really kind of so interesting. Little, she got her moment at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was kind of interesting, just as a general thing, pulling back a uh, larger picture to see some of these scientists that we've like read about in our education <laughs> as real people I on know the from screen. Their equations. <laughs> 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 like they're talking about Faraday and and Niels Bohr of the Bohr atomic model. Is in this yeah. movie? Bohr, Fermi, <laughs> yeah, Fermi, Fermi was also in there. dropped in there too. I was like, oh my god! I was like, All I know his energy, Fermi energy. <laughs> yeah. It it is so it's so funny, but I I thought it was a meme. Uh, to like view all these scientists dropping names and all this shit. Like they they dropped even well not scientists but they dropped uh, JFK's name yeah. at one point who yeah. was um, anti Strauss. <laughs> he voted against Strauss and um, <laughs> you yeah. you hear all these name drops and and you're like you can't help but think of the Avengers theme as soon as they say it mm-hmm. and you're like da, 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 da. Einstein will return I'm, in yeah. Oppenheimer two. <laughs> I'm recruiting you for the the White House project. <laughs> yeah, uh, for the paperclip so initiative. So funny. Yeah, the paperclip initiative. Uh, which so I, that does lead me into some things that I think felt a little. <coughs> um, I will say there are some parts here that felt a little incongruous, or some things that I wanted them to. Um, I wanted more of in this. Um, there's only a few, and they're pretty slight. Um, one, I think I think a lot of people will remember this one. Um, is early on the movie, they're you know they they're doing a lot to us. They have to establish a lot about his character all up front. Um, and one of the things he's very well known for is his quote in an interview where he's discussing how he feels about the dropping of the the atomic bomb, and he uh, recites a quote from the Bhagavad Gita. Um, uh, you know, I am become death, destroyer of worlds, and they're like, how do we get that into this movie? <laughs> I know. We'll put it in during the sex scene with Florence Pugh. Yeah, um, that she's that's like she's riding him, and they're doing like a sex scene to establish the relationship. And then she just pulls the book off the wall, and it's like, "What is this? Oh, it's Sanskrit. Read it to me." And he reads, the, and he reads the quote. I'm like, that, yeah, that I don't think that was the right place to put that." Yeah, that was um, I an interesting it. choice. I I don't think you needed to set that up beforehand necessarily. Um, you could have just had it him him think that when they did the Trinity test, and I think it would have been fine and just as impactful. Yeah, um, there was. Uh, I I kind of viewed it. I. I tried to see the art behind it because it, it was a very it was weird a distracting scene. scene. And I'm like, why? Why? Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, it would have been great. You could even have that same thing and not have it during the bomb. You could even have it during the over, like the little montage of her suicide, right? I think that would also be really thematic there and would tie a lot of different um, things together. Point point about her suicide. Uh, apparently, there's a conspiracy here that uh, Christopher Nolan nods to that her suicide was actually a murder. 
um, and they mm-hmm. kind of point to it as like the unsigned note um, during the scene in the bathtub. Uh, there's the hand, there's a hand on her head pushing her into the bathtub, um, and you could uh, it's it's a nod to the apparent uh, possibility that she was murdered by the government right. um, to stop the distraction for Oppenheimer, um, which is which is interesting. A little nod. I don't know if it's ever been confirmed I or not, but don't uh, think so. Um, but yeah, I didn't. Oh, I didn't was, know. That was Nolan. I didn't apparently. know that he had been been married before. And uh, that whole relationship was was new information to me. Yeah, that was I think. Well, there's a uh, this is all about the book. Um, I forgot what the name of the book was. Shit. Um, there's a book about Oppenheimer, and uh, probably, probably it, it it discusses his relationship with with her. This like, I forgot what Florence Pugh's act, uh, act character name is, but um, yeah, that was apparently a conspiracy that's on the side that nolan nodded to to this um but during that sex scene i kind of viewed that the quoting of the the sanskrit um as like she's not really into it or he's not really into it they're both struggling to find their vibe at first and um they're both like kind of intellectuals so they kind of get off on, on well yeah he know, picked her up when interesting stuff when so was like uh, where they say ownership is is theft, and she's like, property is theft. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I read the original German. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's 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 kind of like a what is what's the hey word? Fuck. Um, it, it's a hey fuck. It's like um, say they're sapiosexual, but it's also like intellectual oh, sapiosexual like, uh, superiority. Yeah. Um. So they're like, oh, like let me get you off on 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 knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I mean, getting high on information. Another, yeah, that's another one that you know, I was going to bring up here just at, right after this. And I think it's even in the same scene. Is they do a lot of that really well to show that Oppenheimer is a well-read guy who's kind of, you know, like a lot of uh, high-level physicists in that field. Just you become a renaissance man by way of you want to learn more about a lot of stuff. But, yeah, the you know, the writing in this scene does a thing which... I would generally like to see less of just in the in the uh, in the cinema landscape, where um, they'll just read off a bunch of names of famous like authors or um, philosophers or such in quick su- succession as shorthand for I have read all these guys, and <laughs> you know they're all together, and well that's just a pet peeve of mine. I just I see that and it takes me out of the movie. Mm. It's like um, I, the the other one that I remind of, which is it didn't um, stick with me. Tron, so Tron Legacy, which is a much less good movie than this. <laughs> I, it's still one of my favorites. But there's a scene when they're they're talking about the impact of one of the characters in that movie, who's a new kind of life form that will that's different from just a program. And Jeff Bridges is like this will affect everything: science, biology, religion, medicine, philosophy. And you're just like just. <laughs> You're just saying things. You just you just listing subjects. You're just reading a a call a community college's uh, course listing. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know he'll, the people will go buy a bookshelf and they'll be like, ah, Dostoevsky, uh, Immanuel Kant, of course, Nietzsche. You know, yeah, oh, yeah, of course, makes yeah. sense. Um, but I, I guess they, yeah, I I think they did a really good job ninety percent of the way. I just wanted that one. Little those three seconds of dialogue turned into something else, um, and my only other, 
my only other um, thing that I wanted more of, it's not even something I wanted less of, it's something I wanted more of, is um, he made this movie in IMAX. Um, and for the bomb and for the big spectacle, that's the right way to go. Because, especially because of the sound system, right? You're not, like, if you want the full experience, you want that sound system that will rattle your bones um, and vibrate the poop out of your butt. <laughs> um, but in visual, there's not, uh, there's not a, I wanted more of the use of the frame to convey really wide spaces. And I think the fact that they were in Los Alamos, which was, explicitly like a middle of nowhere i wanted more of those shots just to show the isolated nature of the of the town of the surrounding area um really indulge in showing how big the area of the trinity test site was i feel like how far they had to be away from it i almost feel like um they were more like establishing shots in an earlier cut of the movie but yeah. They had a a hard limit on what they could make this movie, so I feel like there was stuff like that that was the cut. Oppenheimer director's cut. I'm hoping that it comes that, that there is one that exists and that it's available on the Blu-ray because I would love to to That'd see if nuts. there's yeah. more to it. I, An hour of deleted <laughs> footage. Yeah, um, and we all saw the IMAX, right? Yes, we all saw it in digital IMAX. Okay. Um, I didn't see it in IMAX. I saw it in um, 70 millimeter. Okay. Oh, okay. I was going to be like, well, you could answer my question because I've heard from people who have watched it in standard def that it is letterboxed, then pillar boxed. So this happens a lot on um, movies that have scenes that were shot specifically in IMAX. Christopher Nolan has uh, the Dark Knight trilogies like this where you watch it at home. It's in uh, 21 by 9 anamorphic widescreen, uh, or 1.85.1 or whatever it is, uh, anamorphic widescreen for most of the movie. But when it goes to the big like I- scenes that were shot on IMAX cameras, it fills the full 16 by 9 picture. Hmm. Okay. So obviously, um, they don't raise and lower the. Uh, the aperture. The aperture on the uh, screen in the theater. So the. Did you see it? Was yours a 70 millimeter? Um, <laughs> IMAX? No, it was a digital. I don't know if it's a 4K projector or the two 2K projectors. Well, it it can be it can be digital IMAX. Well, yeah. So like it it simulates the screen size is the same dimensions as you would have for like a 70 millimeter projector. Did you notice like a big, um, big difference? I, I guess I noticed it was like taller to some extent. I don't know. Um, if it, it feels more. I... There's a wider uh, staging on some shots that you just can't achieve with a regular camera, and the yeah. image is more immersive. It was largely just a way to get bigger pictures on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a lot of what I had to say about the movie. Um, in terms of recommendation, what I'll say is um, don't try and be a brain lord and feel like you got everything on the first watch through. Uh, there's a lot of it. And this is a movie that I think is one of those types of things that benefits from being able to watch it together as a cohesive whole, but also 
Um, if you want to dig and do some film study and you really want to, if you're really loving on this movie, this one you can break apart and look at, you know, scenes and individual things. You know, it's one of those that will reward someone who wants to go and go frame by frame, scene by scene. Yeah, like this, the individual a lot of, a lot of our IMDb reviews erroneously compliment the cinematography because they struggle to find nice things to say about a movie and they don't understand what cinematography is necessarily but this movie is a great example of excellent cinematography yeah yeah so i would say i'm not gonna be like oh watch it twice i think you'll get it um i mean i would say if you want if you're if you watch it first time just to get a general feel if it's something that you want to see again Watch it again. Well, I feel if you wanna if you felt also, you should also probably find someone to talk about talk about it with because this yeah. is I feel like a movie that is best um, also discussed in addition to being seen. So that describes most of Christopher Nolan's movies, right? Like you mm-hmm. you generally need to watch them two or three times to fully appreciate everything that's been done in that movie. And um, they are thought provoking movies that warrant discussion and hold up to discussion and scrutiny long after they've been released. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, this is mm-hmm. your typical Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, just another really good effort <laughs> that presents lingering questions that will be discussed for a long time after the movie is, has run its course in theaters. But absolutely see it. If you can see it in IMAX, um, I would recommend it over the... Uh, standard uh, showings. Um, yeah. I think it's worth seeing. I don't know you have to go to the theater necessarily to see it if you're just thinking about seeing it in standard, but the IMAX is worth the trip out to the theater, I feel. Yeah, um, agree. But that's going to wrap it up for this uh, surprisingly svelte episode of the podcast given that we reviewed two movies in it um more more killer less filler yep not all enough not all in a all in O, but uh, well the balance has shifted i i could have filled the whole podcast with barbie to be honest <laughs> yeah so um well <laughs> on that note we'll wrap it up here on episode 377 of the starting Studs podcast until next time be well stay safe and party like it's 1995 peace bye-bye